This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Well, good morning. It's Tuesday, December the 12th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Well, remember that cold I was trying to fight off all of last week? Uh, No such luck. We're going to go low and we're going to go slow today. Thank you for bearing with me on this beautiful Tuesday in December. Coming up on the show today, a bill for a national basic income program is being considered by the Senate. Journalist Megan Gilmore will share her thoughts on the bill. And what should you keep in mind when you're preparing for your next trip? Sassy Wyatt from Blind Girl Adventures offers up her top travel tips. So goodness gracious, it is that time of the year when airports and train stations and bus stations will be bustling. And there's another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Karen McGee, Alicia Yardley, and Alex Smythe will put their knowledge to the test for your entertainment. But the show begins with the top story of the day. The federal government unveiled details of a national dental care plan yesterday. The dental benefits plan is aimed at people with an annual household income under $90,000 who don't have access to private insurance. People over 87 will be the first cohort eligible for the plan next year. Health Minister Mark Holland explains how the rollouts will work from there. That's why we're going to be opening application in phases, starting with seniors and then people with disabilities, children under 18, and then ultimately by 2025, all eligible Canadians. Holland lays out some of the stats behind the policy. A third of Canadians today do not have access to dental insurance through their employer. One in four have said they were unable to visit an oral health professional because it was too expensive. The dental care plan is the pillar of the supply and confidence agreements between the Liberals and NDP. NDP health critic Don Davies believes the policy is a big step for Canada. In this minority parliament, new Democrats have once again worked constructively to achieve another health care breakthrough. By working in cooperative partnership with our Liberal colleagues, new Democrats have helped secure dental care for 9 million Canadians. It's no exaggeration to say that this is the biggest expansion of public health care in Canada in many generations. The plan is expected to cost $13 billion over the next five years. Now, that's not the only big news out of Ottawa. Indigenous Services Minister Patty Haidu has tabled legislation to improve water quality in First Nation communities. The bill applies to source water drinking water, wastewater, and infrastructure. The bill would also create a new First Nations-led water commission. Kawasas First Nation Chief Erica Baudin says the policy is progress. It is a start, a beautiful start for all of us to work together with the covenant of treaty, our inherent rights as Indigenous people and all people who inhabit these lands to work together for the cleanest, the safest water that all of us could drink. 
Minister Haidu discusses how this policy could transform decision-making. The bureaucracy itself um, is designed around control and that if we truly want to uh, work with First Nations to co-develop or to approach co-development that we have to challenge all of our assumptions as ministers, as civil servants, as bureaucracy about the secrecy of development, about how we share information, how we share draft legislation and how we do so in a way that respects parliamentary privilege. One more federal politics story for you. Federal Sport Minister Carla Qualtro has announced a new process to review abuse in Canadian sports. She says an independent commission will engage with survivors in a trauma-informed way. The starting point for the commission will be a recognition that bad things have happened and continue to happen in Canadian sport. Survivors will not need to prove they have experienced harm. We know you have. We believe you and we support you. The commission will be reporting its findings publicly. Journalist Megan Gilmore will stop by in about 20 minutes to talk about some more big stories from Parliament Hill. And stories from Parliament Hill will also be part of the daily polls for today. At Accessible Media is where you vote on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you can vote on Facebook. Yesterday you were asked a new study finds that Canadians are not as familiar with the Canadian Charter as they think they are. How important is it for Canadians to fully know the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms? 91% of you said very, 9% of you said somewhat, and 0% of you said not at all. Brett writes in on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. If Canadians are going to continue to weaponize it out of ignorance, it's probably a very good idea for them to know it before this occurs. At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, that's where you vote on the polls. Today's question is also about federal policy. Can we throw that one up on the screen, on the screen there, guys? It's uh, not written in my script, so we'll pull it right off there. Federal politicians are preparing for their winter break. What would you like their top policy priority to be as they head into 2024? Is it the Accessible Canada Act, the National Disability Benefit, is it Pharmacare or is it other? At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, while you consider your response to that question, let's bring in Laura Bain for Laura's thoughts. Laura, what do you think? What should the top policy priority be for Canadian politicians heading into 2024? Yeah, you know, I think all of those things that you've mentioned there are incredibly important. I'm going to say that uh, for me, it's the national disability benefit because I think that has the capacity to have the most sort of immediate impact on a lot of people who are in particularly dire situations right now. The Accessible Canada Act is obviously also incredibly important, but I think that that's something that has... I mean, certainly it will have short-term and medium-term impacts, but is a little more in terms of the long-term situations that people are facing. And I know that there's also other things out there that are, um, you know, very important that I'm maybe just not as familiar with as the Canada Disability Act. I did um, watch all of the proceedings on SendView that happened when they were reviewing that bill and review a lot of the submissions, which just really underscored for me kind of the... <sighs> 
the urgency to pass this. And I know there's a lot of things with it that they have to get right. And there's a lot of complex issues. Um, but I also think it's something that um, could maybe be rolled out even um, without some of those things in place to just start helping people because we know there's like some some massive issues right now in terms of affordability and and houselessness and things like that so for me national disability benefit i am inclined to agree with you for one reason and one reason only if they do not get these regulations figured out this year and get this policy rolled out this will fall during the 2025 election and may never be revisited Right. If this doesn't get done in the next mm -hmm. year with the possibility of an election looming at some point in 2025, if that work doesn't get done, if they can't get this enshrined, then it, all of this consultation, all of this talk will have been for nothing. I, I, I don't mean to sound like I'm fear mongering this morning about that, but that would be my concern. If this does not get done in the calendar year of 2024, who knows when that election might get called in 2025 and then all of this work off the table. I would say in terms of outright urgency, this is the one. Alex Smythe, what do you think about unanimity across this uh, poll? I'm actually going to go a different direction, Dave. I'm going to go with PharmaCare. And, and very similar uh, um, kind of rationale that you both did lay out. I, I think PharmaCare can have a big benefit because there's still uh, a, a large amount of costs that um, even if you have a mixture of the public and private insurance that covers some of the, the pharma costs, there's still a, a chunk that needs to be paid out of pocket. And when you consider, you know, the disability community and, and, and folks who may be on more limited budgets, having access to, to medicine, it kind of falls under these uh, kind of um, really major financial uh, kind of pieces that you need to be in consideration when you're giving up your, your budget. So if there is a, a plan that can at least address that aspect of it, uh, I, I think it can be a really positive thing. It can have an impact on millions of, of Canadians. And in doing kind of some more research into kind of what the proposal plan is and, and how it would roll out. And, you know, there's obviously the big cost up front, but, you know, the, the plan suggests and, and kind of proponents of the bill suggest that this could in the long run actually save money or generate more money for Canada. And it allows them to, to negotiate on a, a stronger footing for uh, when it comes to negotiation with pharmacare companies and things like that, that you have this broader um, kind of negotiating uh, kind of force that is like we are arguing on behalf of the entire uh, nation and not just the patchwork of, okay, you get approval for funding within or, or access within Canada, and then you have to negotiate with the provincial partners and stakeholders, things like that. And then you go through private insurance. It, it's very kind of patchwork. So to streamline it into a single kind of force, I, I think can be really impactful. That said, obviously, Accessible Can Act would be great for them to work on. The thing is, it's it's already been enacted. It's going to be a slow process regardless. I don't foresee them being a small direct change. The national disability benefit is something that could see that, but I just think pharmacare it, almost to me, I would argue pharmacare is far less likely to succeed in any other time if an election is held 
as opposed to a national disability benefit, as you said. Yeah, yeah. It just it, it just goes back to square one for all the work on the national disability disability benefit. That said, the PharmaCare plan is also one of those uh, cornerstones of the supply and confidence mm -hmm. agreement. So, therefore, getting that done might actually kick the election down the road to mid 2025, and that could be good for the national disability benefit. So, sometimes these things uh, move in a circle altogether. <laughs> at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook. That's where you can vote on the polls. You can also chime in via email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or pick up the phone and give the show a ring, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Coming up next. The winter travel season is heating up. What should you keep in mind when preparing your next trip? Sassy Wyatt from Blind Girl Adventures will offer up the top travel tips. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The winter travel season is heating up, and Canadians, oh boy, they are enjoying their traveling. According to data from 17 large airports across the country, passenger counts increased by 82% this year compared to 2019. 82%. Massive, massive number. And of course, the holidays are around the corner, which means even more folks are going to be hopping on big silver birds or big silver bullets of trains or planes or automobiles to get around. So what should you be keeping in mind when preparing for your next journey? Sassy Wyatt has some tips to share. Sassy runs a blog called Blind Girl Adventures. Hey, good morning, Sassy. Nice to chat with you today. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, I want to start with your blog itself. What inspired you to launch a blog dedicated to accessible travel? Well, as a person that loves to travel, and I have a great passion for helping to change the landscape of accessibility as a whole, I realized there was, there was a niche. People who are disabled love to travel. And as someone that is blind and has been for over 10 years now, as well as a wheelchair user in my youth, I thought, well, why not see where this can go? And thankfully, it's become not just a business, but something that can help other people. And that's what I care about most. Really cool when you can mix uh, passion and pragmatism together like that and uh, give something people tangible to take away. So let's do some of those tangibilities. Let's talk about some of these tips. The first one you want to offer up is learning basic phrases yes i feel that if you are going to travel to any part of the world and they don't speak your language the very least you can do is to learn the basics of theirs and that isn't just because it's a nice thing to do but from a cultural perspective you're not going to always interact with someone that understands the complexity of your disability. If you're blind, you need to know how to say, I am blind in a different language. You need to say, um, I need help to the restroom. Or you need to say, uh, can I pay on card? Because maybe they only pay by check or only pay by cash. And if you don't know the currency in that, that part of the world, or you don't know the check system, then you're going to have to have ways to get around that. And so learning the basic phrases 
to express your access needs is my top tip. Yeah, I can say that would be a huge orientation and mobility boost if you could actually communicate a little bit, even even in just the most basic level, to sort of let people know, here are my needs, here's what here's what you can do, and, you know, maybe even uh, make a friend or two along the way as well. It's nice and, once again, super pragmatic. What about a tip in regards to uh, being mindful of battery power and devices? Yes, so that's a big one. I'm sure many people who travel will use their devices and as a blind person who uses their device not only for navigational purposes but entertainment etc the battery runs very low very quickly especially if you use voiceover <laughs> as i do and so taking a battery pack with you is just a necessity for me it means that i feel safe whenever i'm traveling because you just don't know you you don't know where you're going to be at any point but having a full battery pack means that you can charge it on the go and you can access the internet or you can access calling someone for help or just communicating in that language if you have the language barrier. Yeah, having power in the modern age uh, makes a big difference and you can't always count on there being a plug available or finding a plug. Nice to control your own destiny a little bit. Sassy, sassy, anybody who's ever traveled with me has accused me of overpacking, but I get the impression that maybe overpacking might not be the worst habit in the world in your mind. No, I actually believe in overpacking. I think it's better to be overprepared than underprepared. And you just never know if you're at an airport or at a bus stop and, you know, the, the, the country maybe has a flood or you get stranded in an airport or things break down. You need to overprepare rather than underprepare. Under and as a disabled person as well, I think we're so used to thinking outside of the box all of the time then it's a smart idea to have just a little bit of extra of everything mm. just in case. <laughs> uh, don't, 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 don't tell me this sassy. This, this could, this could go in the wrong direction. <laughs> My suitcase might get a little too full at the right thing at the right things are going. Okay. There, there's sort of a related tip here though. Let's say somebody does want to pack more or follows your advice and chooses to pack more. What are some approaches or strategies that maybe not uh, that may not lead to the bag overly bursting with things? So one of my favorite tips is to use uh, travel packing cubes, and that is because you can organize everything together, but they are very, very good at comp compressing. So I love to put all my decals in one, all my you know outfits in another, my night outfits, and it keeps everything compact. So as a blind person, you can access it super easy. But for someone like myself, I take a lot of medication. And so I put them in tiny, tiny little tubs. And I'm almost decanting everything to make it smaller. So I take more, but it looks less because I, I condense everything as much as I can. I've never used these packing cubes. I've seen them pop up a little bit on social media on some uh, travel sites. How about, like how tight does it get in these cubes? Like how compressed does your stuff get in these little in these little compartments? Well, the the bigger the bag, the the more it can condense. But uh, so, for example, you think of an average average Joe and packing clothes for maybe a week. You can be able to condense all of that, and it will feel very heavy to carry. But you can condense that very easily, and it squishes to almost half of the size. No way. No way. Yeah. Okay. What? Okay. What about the flip side, though? What, ha <laughs> what happens when I dirty the clothes, and now they become laundry? Well, yeah, that's so I tend to do uh, two things. I take an extra packing cube to chuck in all the laundry 
or I take in one bag that I chuck everything in and just lay it as flat as possible. So oh, then it, okay. it just creates a tiny little um Tiny little wall rather than a mountain of, of clothes. <laughs> okay, Ellie, see, this, this, you got, you got to be practical with these things. You've got to be thinking about all the angles. Uh, Sassy, your last tip, I feel, relates a little bit to your first tip. Um, how do you manage actually asking for help as you're navigating a new space, either an airport, city, hotel, et cetera? Yeah, I think that it all comes down to confidence and I know not everyone is born with confidence. It's a skill you should learn. And what I say is never be afraid to ask because the worst is that somebody could walk past you because they didn't hear you or they could say no because they don't have the time. However, there are things like the airport assistant. So I will always ahead of time book my assistant. So I know when I turn up at the airport, I'm going to have a member of staff that knows that airport is going to take me all the way through through to security, through the terminals, get me on my plane, get me sat down, and then somebody will get me off the other end. So it takes away a lot of the mental fatigue and stress that I may think or feel or encounter. Mm. But when I'm in that country, it's actually how I've made some friends, and it's how I've also managed to meet locals. So even though I may not speak their language or they do not know how to assist me by just asking for help, I get to meet and see the beauty of humanity every day. Oh, I love that. Sassy, I'm putting you on the spot on the way out the door here. Looking back at this year, 2023, what was your favorite place to visit? Oh, okay. So my favorite place to visit was actually Rotterdam. We went to Rotterdam and we went to a really nice place called the Hocken Gardens. And it was just a really tactile, beautiful experience. They cared about accessibility. But I think there isn't one place that does it best in the world because everybody's accessibility needs are different. So oh, just yeah. just take that leap of take that leap of faith and see see what the world where the world takes you. I, I like that you say Rotterdam. That's actually on my list of places that I want to get to in the next couple of years. So you've only reinforced that one. That's good. Okay, what about looking forward? 2024, what's on your bucket list? Oh, on the bucket list. So next year I, I'm actually hoping to come to Canada. Canada oh, cool. has always been on my, yeah, been on the bucket list of my husband and I for a very long time. It's it's a big birthday for him next year, so possibly there. And then we're going to visit the Northern Lights as well at the end of the year. No. So I'm very excited. Wait, where are you going to see the Northern Lights? We are going to Iceland. Oh, unbelievable. Are you going to get one of those like ice igloos or, uh, or one of these like special resorts? Well, we're actually going to take a cruise because, one, it's one of the most accessible ways, and, two, it means that I can bring my guide dog and have that extra level of independence oh, and confidence when I travel. Wonderful. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited indeed. Well, Sassy, when you do that, uh, please uh, drop us a line because I would love to talk about the Northern Lights experience because that's one of my travel bucket list items too. So uh, you and I are sharing a brain this morning, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been incredible. And I hope hope you managed to get to Rotterdam and see the Northern Lights yourself. Uh, you know what? Let's. Uh, I'm going to start making plans today. We'll start making some plans today. <laughs> That's Sassy Wyatt. Sassy runs the blog Blind Girl Adventures. You can follow that at blindgirladventures.com, blindgirladventures.com, or follow along with Sassy on Instagram at sassywyattofficial, at sassywyattofficial. Coming up after the break. Going back into the world of federal politics, a bill for a national basic income program is being considered by the Senate. Journalist Megan Gilmore will share her thoughts. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There are all kinds of news and notes coming from Parliament Hill in the world of federal politics. In fact, you heard me share a couple of them off the top of the show. Clean drinking water for Indigenous communities, uh, looking at the dental care program, and a new policy for safe sport in Canada. Well, there's a lot more on the table too. A bill for a national basic income program is being considered by the Senate. The Liberals will not be able to pass any Pharmacare legislation before the end of the year. And there's some proposed changes to how criminal records are handled in Canada. Journalist Megan Gilmore has been reporting on all of these stories. Megan is a reporter for Canadian Affairs. Say hey, good morning, Megan. Nice to chat with you once again. Good morning, Dave. Welcome back. Uh, Megan, happy to be back, although I uh, wish that there wasn't as much mucus in my throat, but we will uh, bear on nonetheless, and uh, we'll count on Megan Gilmore to carry the load in this segment. So, <laughs> Megan, you and I have talked about uh, basic income a couple of different times on the program. Mm -hmm. What What's interesting here? What, what's the Senate looking at exactly yeah. in this? Sure. So the Senate uh, at their fin National Finance Committee is currently looking at a bill to create a framework for a national basic income program in Canada. So stop me if you've heard something like this before. <laughs> there are no details in the bill. This is a bill that would allow the government to create a framework for what a national basic income may look like. Now, basic income is a concept that many economists have been discussing for decades. There are various types of basic incomes. So uh, some uh, experts I spoke to about this when I was reporting on it for Canadian Affairs uh, a number of weeks ago would talk about how probably the closest thing to a basic income that we have right now in Canada is the Canada Child Benefit. Right. Uh, where families of children of a certain age get a certain amount uh, of money and like, and like tax refunds and things like that. That's actually probably the closest thing that we have. That's the best comparison. Um, and the idea behind basic income is that it gives everybody in a set population kind of uh, the same amount of money to, to work with. And there's different, yeah, there's different models. Uh, some are, uh, some give like everybody in the country automatically the same amount of money. And most economists will say that that just doesn't work. Like you just can't really do that. Um, but there's different ways that you can do it. Again, this bill does not give any details about how basic income may be done. Um, it just, uh, would allow the government to create a framework to potentially create a basic income program. Yeah, it, it's an opportunity to sort of study the concept yeah, and study, study the, the idea, concept. which is something the Senate actually has over the years done quite mm -hmm. well. In fact, a lot of great legislation has come from this phase of the Senate putting their brain power and their resources together. And and like you said, national basic a, a basic income program is something that has been bantied about for a long time. There have been mm -hmm. lots of experiments, right? There have been experiments in Manitoba. There was a pilot in Ontario. Newfoundland and Labrador is messing around with an idea for people between the age of 60 and 65. So certainly there is a conversation that is actively occurring mm -hmm. at the provincial mm -hmm. level right now. Mm -hmm. What What's your reaction to what at least has been laid out in regards to this bill? Right. So my reaction when you look at the text of the bill itself is... Oh, there's not a lot of details. This sounds like something else that we've talked about a lot on this program. Uh, um, say it. Say it. Can, say can it. a disability? There we go. What? What? Um, so, 
Um, which I don't think is always a bad thing. Like, like at least in this conversation about national basic income, like you said, this is this is a chance to discuss it. And actually, what's really interesting here is this piece of legislation was introduced in the Senate, like more like a year or so ago um on the same day that identical legislation was introduced in the in the house of commons mm. and the house of commons bill is kind of like not really doing anything it's just it was introduced that's what happened to it it was a private member's bill introduced by the ndp the senate like the finance committee is actually doing it they've had two different meetings one in october one in november where different witnesses have come and talked about it the parliamentary budget office has been there and the pbo the parliamentary budget office are, are the people who come up with the cost estimates for different programs there's been academics so it, it's an interesting discussion and i think regardless of if this results in legislation regardless of whether or not this results in a program at a national level or perhaps another tribe, something at a provincial or municipal level, um, it's an interesting conversation that is worth paying attention to. Um, and also, uh, we, we we did kind of joke about it, but the Canada Disability Benefit does actually play into this in a sense. Uh, there's some people I've heard over the years who've argued that if and when we get a Canada disability benefit, that the model that is determined for that may be used in other basic income programs elsewhere in Canada. So the two of them are kind of in the same mm -hmm. wheelhouse of mm -hmm. public policy. Megan, let's let's switch gears here to something a little bit different, but it's yeah. the pharmacare legislation. The Liberals will not be meeting a target to get a pharmacare bill passed by the end of the year. It feels like the implications on this one are a little bit more political, but there are tons of trickle-down impacts. Yes. So for some background, when the NDP and the Liberals signed their supply and confidence agreement that would see the NDP support the Liberals in key votes up until the end of 2025, essentially allowing the minority Liberals to stay in power, until 2025, the key, like the number one thing, first one on the list that the NDP wanted was they wanted pharmacare legislation by the end of this year. Uh, that will not be happening. Uh, the government has conceded that uh, a few weeks after we did our reporting this in Canadian Affairs, CBC had a piece uh, essentially saying the same thing. This will not be happening. There will not be pharmacare legislation by the end of this year. Uh, and it's it is yet to be determined how this will play out in the political realm. Obviously, NDP delegates at their convention earlier this fall sent out a strong message to the party saying that they want this done and they they you know think essentially they should stop supporting the liberals if you don't get pharmacare. Um, whether or not the NDP is actually going to stop supporting the liberals over this delay in pharmacare, I personally don't think they, they will. I think they're going to keep with their supply and confidence agreement, but it's, yeah, something to look out for, something to watch. Yeah. Uh, they did get dental care. Dental care Dental care is starting. We saw that yesterday. Mm -hmm. Pharmacare, um, we'll wait and see. And yeah, again, the, like- the, the pharmacare side of the equation, it, this is worth mentioning. The liberals did send over a framework to the NDP. They said, here's an idea we have, here's what it might look like. And the NDP yeah. came back and said, this is not acceptable. Not really so so at, at the very least, there's a bit of a conversation going on here. It's not a dead in the water policy, but the deadline has been missed and that, and that matters. That yeah. definitely yeah, matters. And it does matter. And it, and it matters. I think it largely matters, honestly, just in my opinion, um, to the people on the ground. 
uh, right? Yeah. If you if yeah. you don't like if you're not living, if you are not a politician, if you don't work on the hill, if you don't see how these things happen and how long it takes um, for key pieces of legislation to be developed. Um, I think that's where it's going to feel incredibly frustrating for people. Uh, and just like basic income, people have been discussing pharmacare for for years. The the model that the parliamentary budget officer put out earlier this fall, uh, they put put forward a model where um, based on the provincial uh, drug coverage in Quebec, they would take that and apply it to the whole country. And the model was individuals would pay five dollars. Um, for certain medications. That $5 pharmacare plan, I remember people talking about that when I was an undergrad. Yeah, yeah. So, like, this has been, this has been a long conversation. We shouldn't expect legislation to pass quickly. And we'll see what happens. We'll see what this means. I don't know if anyone really has a strong appetite for an election right now. So, uh, we'll see what this means. I could name one party that probably has oh, a strong okay. appetite for one, an election right yes, now, but uh, okay. but definitely no, no. But but, but Megan, I'm with you. I, I don't see the NDP blowing yeah. up the supply and confidence agreement because of a missed deadline. I could see the the pressure really heating up though by the middle of next year if they oh, haven't totally. found if they haven't found common ground or they're not making progress. That's where I could really see the the brandishment of a possible election, and that's where again you and I are going to keep circling back to this national disability benefit if yeah. a, if an election gets called and the liberals lose a lot of this work on the national disability benefit goes up in smoke and that would be a huge bummer to a lot of people a huge bummer yes. to a lot of people right yes yes it would be and also just a note on pharmacare and this kind of does actually relate to some of the discussions on the can disability benefit I, another issue with pharmacare is the gaps in what provinces and territories provide under their provincial and territorial plans. So like mm, most Canadians mm. actually do have access to some form of prescription drug coverage. It's just not the same across the country. There's just a lot of gaps in it. Um, and a lot of it depends on what your working situation is like. If you have a working arrangement where you have an employer who is providing you with private insurance mm, to supplement mm. some forms of public insurance. So I think well, conversations about national plans are interesting, and they can produce a lot of um, like policy wonk papers and opinions. I do think we need to remember a lot of these decisions happen at the provincial and the territorial level. And regardless of what federal parties decide to do, I do think it's worth examining what do we cover and not cover in provincial Pharmacare plans. Mm. Uh, Megan, th this one's certainly an interesting one that we'll be following along throughout the course of yeah. next year and moving forward. But there's one more topic to get to this morning. Yeah. And this one is interesting because justice reform has been one of the federal and provincial issues that, that's been present this year, but perhaps mm -hmm. bubbling under the surface. You, you've got to get sort of to the fourth, fifth, or sixth article down the national politics page before you start getting to some of the justice reform and criminal justice reform topics going on. And you wrote a really interesting piece about some proposed changes to criminal records yeah. and how those might be changed to be a little bit more proactive for somebody go going through the rehabilitation process. So what's on deck here? What's being proposed in terms of a change to criminal records? 
Sure. So first of all, the proposal is not coming from the government. The proposal is coming from CARDIS, which is an independent, nonpartisan think tank that often studies how institutions function in society. And they have a group that looks at areas around work and economics. Uh, criminal records have been shown fairly clearly and consistently to considerably hamper somebody's ability to find paid employment after they are um, after they leave uh, prison or, or jail. So uh, what Cardis, again, independent think tank, is recommending is that criminal records be adjusted so that when an individual is reaching the end of this end of their sentence, they have the option to say, I would also like my criminal record to include other things I did while I was involved with the criminal justice system. So for example, if somebody was incarcerated and they took work training programs, which is, is a thing that's offered mm. at several institutions, that they would have the option of listing that on their criminal record as well. If they took part in spiritual care or forms of counseling, that that would be listed there as well. So that when a potential employer is looking at what is this personal, person's criminal record, they're not just seeing a record of what's, what is often described as the worst moments of somebody's life. They're also seeing what did that person do while they were incarcerated. Mm. Uh, and it, the idea is that first, it gives employers more information about potential employees. But second, that it speaks to an idea that a human being is more than just one fact. So a human being is more than one characteristic. They are more mm. than just do you have, have you been convicted of a crime for which a pardon has not yet been granted, right? Somebody is more than the sum total of their worst mistakes. So, or at least the worst mistakes have been captured publicly because we've all made mistakes. They're just not all of them public record. Um, so yeah, that's really what the idea is. And again, this is coming from independent think tank. And we'll see if anybody in the halls of parliament um, thinks about this or, or wants to give it um, some, some mm. a chance to hear mm. it. But it also, I think, raises questions for employers about how do you go about the interview process? Do you need to ask on an initial application? Do you have a, have you been convicted of a crime for which a pardon has not been granted? Does that need to be on the initial application? Um, I, and I, I think when we have this conversation, there have been a lot of different policies throughout the United States, particularly around this question about when and should employers ask about somebody's criminal history. No one is denying that that is actually important information for particular jobs mm -hmm. and that employers mm -hmm. need to know this. Like no one is saying that. But what people are saying is, when is this appropriate information and what do employers do with it? And if that's all they think, if all you get is a check in a box, what does that tell you about this potential job applicant? And could you be potentially not hiring a good worker because of a mistake they made that may not even be related to the mm. industry that they were applying for work in? Megan, all three of these articles are really interesting. Thank you for touching on all these subjects this morning. You're welcome. Thanks for having me for News Blitz. That is Megan Gilmore, a reporter for Canadian Affairs. You can find Megan's work at CanadianAffairs.net. That's Canadian Affairs. Oh, excuse me. CanadianAffairs.news. CanadianAffairs.news. Got to make sure you read that properly. If you're going to plug Megan's work, you better get it right. CanadianAffairs.news. CanadianAffairs.news.
news. In 60 seconds, Alex Smythe will have the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your morning business minutes. Canada's main stock index closed slightly lower yesterday. Toronto's TSX index slipped 13 points to 20,318. New York's Dow Jones average gained 157 points and the Nasdaq added 28. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 51 points. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 73.7 cents U.S. Creditors have approved Metroland Media Group's restructuring proposal after the newspaper chain announced cuts to 60 percent of its workforce. Spokesman Bob Hepburn says the proposal was approved yesterday and reflects input from stakeholders. He notes there are still some steps to take before the plan can be implemented. Metroland announcing layoffs in September as it moved to a digital-only model and was ending its flyer business. And Canada Post says a technical issue, a problem that was preventing it from accepting some parcels during this busy holiday mailing season, has now been fixed. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. Let's head over to Alex Smythe for the weather report. Alex, all eyes on Atlantic Canada this morning. Yeah, Dave. Uh, so there has been a storm that's battered a lot of the maritime region in the last few days. Well, that storm is now making its way further east to Newfoundland and the Labrador. So unlike the typical December storm, this system is bringing warm temperatures, strong winds and heavy rain. So Nova Scotia, New Brunswick and PEI all suffered widespread blackouts during this system and tens of thousands of people were left in the dark as a result. Now, while the storm is moving on to Newfoundland, it's not gonna be as severe as it was over the rest of the region. So the region did see 100 kilometer per hour plus winds. It's not gonna be as strong as it makes its way continued east. Same thing with the rain, it's not gonna be as torrential as it was in Newfoundland and Labrador. So most of the, the island of Newfoundland will experience rain less than or under 50 millimeters. There are parts of southern Labrador, however, that will get up to 75 millimeters of rain by the end of the day today. The good news is the storm system will move quickly, so conditions will improve even as we make our way into tonight, overnight, and then into the next morning. Right on, Alex. Thank you for this one. And folks, get your umbrellas and your raincoats out. It's going to be a wet one out there in Newfoundland and Labrador. Coming up after the break. Dorothy McNaughton stops by. The Ontario government is looking for input on the 2024 budget. Community reporter Dorothy McNaughton will explain why Ontarians with disabilities should be inputting their feedback. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Consultations are open for the 2024 Ontario budget. This could be an opportunity for people with disabilities to share their priorities with the government. Community reporter Dorothy McNaughton has more to share on this. Dorothy is based in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Hey, good morning, Dorothy. Nice, nice to chat with you again this morning. Good morning, Dave. 
So, Dorothy, let's uh, jump right to what you want to write in or what you'll be writing in. What are some of the priorities that you would want the government to consider as they prepare budget 2024? Well, people that uh, listen to or watch AMI are aware that I'm very concerned about transportation in the north mm -hmm. and in particular trying to get uh, passenger train service back between Sault Ste. Marie on the Algoma Central Line north. Um, it's now called the Agawa Canyon uh, Line. And um, so I've been uh, talking to politicians for quite a long time federal and provincial about this. Uh, I feel we in Northern Ontario are neglected when it comes to transportation options. So I just want to make the government aware that we need more alternatives than just one bus through here a day mm. and a very expensive plane trip out of here. <laughs> Yeah, you're not going to get any fight from me about that one, Dorothy. I think transportation uh, is a huge priority for all levels of government at this point to make sure people can get around uh, reasonably and affordably and quickly. But if you were to broaden the scope out a little bit, Dorothy, why do you think it's important that people with disabilities make their voices heard when consultations like this open up? Oh, that's a great question. I I've always felt that if people with disabilities don't speak up, about these kinds of issues, no one else will. And and our needs and um, requirements, you know, for daily living will not be heard. So I've long, long uh, sent in my comments to all levels of government. Like I said, when the CNIB was looking at trying to get library services in public libraries, I was lobbying long and hard federally and provincially for those dollars and they eventually did come through. So I'm thinking even if we don't necessarily think they hear us now, uh, the more of us that speak out and send in our comments, um, the more our voices will be heard. And you know, we we can we can hope hope for the best. I mean, I'm an optimistic person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Dorothy, you, you know, I, I think there's something to your broader point there about advocacy, because it's really easy for us to end up in our echo chambers. And maybe we're going for coffee or tea with the people that we always say, oh, the government doesn't care. The government doesn't care. They don't care about me. They're not worried about my needs. But then when consultation processes become open for whether it was the national disability benefit, whether it's mm -hmm. the Ontario budget, if these consultations are open and you don't participate, then yes, you can say the government doesn't care about you, but did you try? Well, absolutely. And when I look at housing, housing is another issue. Oh I, my gosh. I, I, know, I know they're aware that there's a lack of housing, but I don't think they're aware there's a lack of housing for seniors, housing for people with disabilities. I hear affordable housing. Do I hear affordable, accessible housing? No. Mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's so, that's so, so well put. So the actual website to do this can be a little bit convoluted, but I will just say for folks, if they want to learn more and they want to get engaged in these consultation processes, Ontario.ca, Ontario.ca, and uh, there's a few more loops and hoops you've got to jump from there, but Ontario.ca, Google's also your friend, Budget 2024 Ontario consultations, that might help you hyperlink your way a little bit uh, further along. Dorothy, let's turn to something a little bit more local for you, some happenings in the Sioux. There's a new downtown plaza with an outdoor skating rink, an entertainment venue, a farmer's market. What are you liking about this new outdoor facility in the Sioux? 
Well, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, a, a lot of people didn't want to see a lot of money spent on this. Mm, I was kind of dubious. Um, it's very attractive, and they want to attract more people to the downtown. They want tourists to see, you know, what we have to offer. I mean, location-wise, it's it's right. It's it's very handy to a lot of things in the downtown. Um, the skating rink, what's interesting about the skating rink, and my husband told me this, is it has some kind of uh, special coils in it so that even if the weather isn't the greatest as far as, you know, making the rink melt, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they can use it for a longer period of time, which is really good. A lot of people here like to skate. <laughs> What 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 about so so skating rink skating rink gets a big check for us. You said you yeah. were maybe a little bit dubious. What what's the what's the downside here? What aren't you feeling about it? Uh it's it's the money they spend on it. Um, it because if you look at it, you I, I and I can't quote the exact amount, but it was many millions, and they did get funding from various levels of government. Um, if you think about how money spent, like it doesn't look like they spent that amount of money. I mean, and the, you know, they've got lovely Christmas lights around. It's very attractive. I haven't been into the new market yet. We were going to go on Saturday and it was pouring rain and we couldn't find parking close to the facility. That's another issue is the parking's not the right, greatest. Right. Um, but apparently the new market is is really wonderful and i can't wait to get there so i'm anxious to see uh the, the indoor farmers market it's it's been something that was in not the greatest location before and they moved it so that could be a real bonus okay so the jury's out the jury's out for yeah, now yeah, the jury's yeah. out for now but 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 dorothy will be keeping a close eye on this one suesaintmarie.ca to learn more suesaintmarie.ca okay dorothy let's finish up on an exercise note uh walking in the winter is fun but walking in the winter outside can also be a little bit dangerous you came across a walking track at the northern community center that you've been enjoying why do you prefer perhaps this indoor walking track in the wintertime? Well, like today, we are to get 20 centimeters of snow coming oh off Lake Superior. Oh a blizzard, you know, there's no way you can walk outside in that. And 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 it's treacherous. The walking in the winter here is treacherous. So I've, I've walked indoors for a long time. First at the at the old arena, well, that, that was changed to the new arena downtown, the, the Memorial Gardens. Um, it wasn't ideal. Um, and then inside at the mall, which is okay too. But I am just a fan of this walking track at the Northern Community Center. It's a brand new facility, a double rink. Um, and around the one side of it, uh, they have a padded walking track oh. with 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 white on the walls that reflects the light coming in. It's bright and and they have it really well organized. You walk one way on certain days, everybody walks the same way, and the other way on other days. And slower walkers keep to the right and faster walkers go to the left and pass by you. And everybody says hello, good morning. You know, <laughs> we we love it there. It it's, uh, it sounds pretty good to me. What about uh, the Northern Community Center itself? Are you a fan? 
Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. And the, the double arenas were so necessary. <clears throat> Two of our boys played hockey at, at the arena that used to be there. <laughs> it was bitterly cold and really old, and they had huge issues. So, yeah, I, I, I love that. Uh, I love that Northern Community Centre. Oh, that's I, nice. I, it's not in our area of the city, so, you know, we didn't know whether we'd, you know, drive the the extra little distance to go up there and try it out, but I'm so glad we did. Oh, that's really good news. Well, Dorothy, it's always a blast to catch up. I'm sorry that I'm a little under the weather today, but I want to wish you and your husband and your family all the best over the holiday season, and we'll talk to you in 2024. Yes, thank you, and the same to you and all the staff at AMI. Oh, we're always grateful to hear from uh, Dorothy McNaughton, community reporter in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. SaintMarie.ca to learn uh, more about the walking track as well. Coming up in one minute, Laura Bain has the entertainment report, but first, self-driving vehicles are getting bigger in Texas. Mike Dubusky rolls out another edition of Tech Trends. Asa Fisher is the president of Aurora, a trucking company that operates a fleet of autonomous big rigs across the state. We're driving autonomous loads every day on Texas highways. Clients include FedEx and Uber Freight. For now, a human driver sits behind the wheel ready to take control if the technology makes a mistake. But one driver says... Rarely do I have to take over. The company plans to roll out unsupervised trucks by the end of next year. John Esparza, president of the Texas Truck Association says he hopes it will ease the current shortage of truck drivers. We cannot keep pace with the amount of freight that's coming through our state. Aurora's current plan is to make hub-to-hub trips between major cities with human drivers handling last-mile deliveries. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Uh, thank you very much, Mike. Always enjoy hearing a story about self-driving vehicles. Let's bring in Laura Bain for the entertainment report. Laura, the Golden Globe nominations are out. That is right. So we're going to talk about them now. The Golden Globes honor the best in American and international film and television. So no surprise to anyone who's been paying attention to film this year. Barbenheimer is dominating the uh, nominations. So (laughs) um, nine nominations going to Barbie, which, by the way, is the second most nominations ever for a film in terms of the Golden Globes. Oh, wow. And And Oppenheimer coming in with a very respectable eight nominations. Um, There's been lots of nominations for the HBO series Succession, which is nice for them because they just had their final season. Now, I want to highlight two um, shows under the limited series category that I really liked. They weren't necessarily the most popular, but they stood out to me. So All the Light We Cannot See, that was very popular, especially in the blind community. Uh, That was, of course, on Netflix, and we talked about it here, and uh, you've talked about it in other segments on the show, but about a blind protagonist during World War II and, you know, casting blind characters to play that role, which was fantastic. I also want to mention the show Beef, which is also a limited series on Netflix by Korean director Lee Sung Jin, Mm. uh, starring Ali Wong and Steven Yuen. Uh, that was probably one of my favorite things that I watched this year. So I'm going to be torn between those two in that category. They're going head to head. Oh, but, very uh, the, cool. 
<laughs> the 81st Gold Globes are happening on January 7th. They're going to be on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. Now, that's just one of several changes that the Globes are undergoing this year is the move from NBC, where they've been housed for quite a long time, to CBS. This is following some controversy that I'm not going to get into, a new category that's been getting a fair bit of buzz. So that's cinematic and box office achievements so you have to kind of wonder is that trying to maybe make it more uh you know more broader appeal and make the awards more popular but no surprise this has allowed taylor swift the heiress tour to pick up a globe nomination in that category oh, okay right so we're, we're playing with some new categories that are just tied uh, tied up to the money here uh, hey, hey, listen do what you can you're you're the golden globes trying to sort of reboot yourselves as as a brand that exists but maybe trying to shake off some of the uh, some of the old rust so yeah try some new yeah. stuff to get on the radar exactly tied sort of you know tied to popularity and I think John Wick got in there with a nomination as well um, so now I'm gonna ask you about your top motion picture and the globe breaks this category into two so it's a, just a little bit confusing so there's best motion picture musical or comedy and best motion picture under drama right. I'm not gonna make you um, give me <laughs> Give me one for each, but I know you've had a chance to see a few films this year, and I'm wondering what's your pick for best uh, <laughs> film of the year in the Dave Brown? <laughs> yeah, Laura, if, if I had a little more energy and speaking voice today, I'd probably go on a big rant about this division and how it's a good idea, but how some of these films don't make sense in the, uh, in the category they land mm -hmm. in. But let me just give a little bit of love to a movie I saw last spring that I really enjoyed. Of the movies that I'm looking at here, of course, people are going to be talking about Oppenheimer and Barbie, and, you know, I'll, I'll leave that to other folks to do. But Air, the story of how Michael Jordan became contracted to sell shoes with Nike was brilliant, was totally, totally brilliant. It was so, so well acted. The story was so well told. It was so compelling. The music was incredible. The cinematography was fun. Like, the aesthetic was great. If you have not had a chance to see Air, it's currently available on Amazon Prime. I really recommend it, even if you're not a sports fan. It's not a sports movie. It's a business movie about individuals taking a big chance and putting Nike on the map as a major brand. It was incredible. Oh, yeah, that's very cool. And I haven't seen that. So that's nominated under Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy. I that's also right. kind of questioned some of the categories. I was like, hmm, I wouldn't have necessarily thought of it that way. I'm going to reveal one of my great embarrassments here. I'm, <laughs> uh, I haven't actually seen Barbie or Oppenheimer. I just have been really busy with school, uh, but I did notice that the Barbie movie is now available to stream for like $7 on Prime. And now that my assignments are kind of wrapping up, I think that that's going to be probably in my pretty near future as a, a stream of the Barbie movie so I can be in on the on the zeitgeist there you go a little gift a little gift to yourself ahead of the game I like that one Laura hey Laura we go we gotta go but have yourself a great day talk to you tomorrow thanks Dave you too that's Laura Bain with the entertainment report coming up after the break a couple of transportation stories in the regional news update some new Skytrain cars heading out to Vancouver and a couple new uh air routes in Atlantic Canada. So a little bit of good news in terms of transport coming your way in about two minutes on Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in beautiful audio at AMIplus.ca. Maybe I'm not quite beautiful audio today as this uh, cold has taken full roots into my vocal cords and throats. I am Dave Brown. You are you. It is Tuesday, December the 12th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, how can you engage with the holiday season in a way that's accessible and fun? John Lepke shares a page from his holiday guide. And it's another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Karen McGee, Alicia Yardley, and Alex Smythe will put their knowledge to the test for your amusement. But the hour begins with the regional news updates. Starting in British Columbia, a new SkyTrain car is on its way from Ontario to Vancouver. The Mark 5 can carry up to 25% more people. TransLink says the Mark 5 train will go through rigorous testing in Burnaby, and the 40 remaining Mark 5s will gradually join the fleet and enter service by 2028. Over to Ontario, jurors are expected to deliver a verdict today in a coroner's inquest into the death of Solomon Fakiri. Karen Rebo has the background. The 30-year-old Fakiri was arrested in early December of 2016 after allegedly stabbing a neighbor while experiencing a mental health crisis. The inquest has heard that Fakiri, who had schizophrenia, appeared increasingly unwell during his time at the Central East Correctional Center in Lindsay, but did not see a psychiatrist, nor was he taken to hospital. He died on December 15th of that year after a violent struggle with correctional officers as they were escorting him from the shower to his segregation cell. Coroner's Council have urged jurors to rule his death a homicide. The union representing correctional staff proposes his death be ruled accidental. Jurors must make a finding on the cause of death, but it carries no legal liability. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press, Toronto. And over to the Atlantic region, Porter Airlines is increasing capacity on three Halifax routes. Beginning March 31st, service to St. John's, Montreal, and Ottawa will be operated on the Embraer E195E2 aircraft. I don't know if that means anything to you, but it's it's a bigger airplane. The Halifax-Ottawa routes will have three daily round-trip flights. St. John's and Montreal will have two daily round-trips, increasing to three in May. The Embraer jet seats 132 passengers. There you go. A few more travel options around Atlantic Canada, which I know makes all y'all happy for your summer trips to Halifax and St. John's and Montreal and Ottawa and all those good places. Okay, let's go from the regional news to a sports chat with Brock Richardson. This may be a national television show, but every now and then the Toronto Maple Leafs must be talked about, especially Mm. the day after their captain, John Tavares, records his 1,000th career point in a loss to the New York Islanders. Brock, there's uh, some ups and downs for John Tavares in his time in Toronto, but that was a nice moment last night for him to score his 1,000th point uh, in the rink where he played oh so much of his career. It was. Uh, the final score ended up 4-3 for the uh, New York Islanders in overtime, as the Toronto Maple Leafs seem to have do lately, where they go into a lot of games in overtime this year. I think they're up to 13 now on the season. But as for John Tavares, um, this is good. I I enjoyed it. 
I he got a goal and an assist last night to uh, put himself into this uh, point category with the 1,000 career points. I will say this. I loved it even more, Dave, because of what you alluded to and the fact that he was drafted by the New York Islanders. So it was kind of cool for him to go back and get this milestone against his old team. Did you um, did you watch the game live? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. What, I really... How did the crowd react? Because obviously there's still a lot of negative feelings uh, since he left in free agency in uh, 2016, 17, whenever that was. Well, I will tell you that uh, the crowd mainly was doing a lot of boobirds. There was the odd cheer. The camera had to uh, quickly pan away from the crowd as there was a guy standing up in an Islanders jersey giving two middle fingers to John Tavares. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, mainly it was not a good scene if it was the New York Islanders, but John uh, tried to really play it off at the end, like, oh, it was nice to, you know, come back and do this and, and um, you know, get this where I where I was drafted. Lots of good memories. But, yeah, there was some people giving some interesting remarks yeah. towards his his is milestone there still some hurt feelings on that one uh, he's the 98th player to record a thousand nhl points so in a time when statistics maybe don't mean what they used to i would still say if you are one of only 100 people to do something that still qu- constitutes a notable nhl stat yeah and i and i and he's only even less so to do it against his old team that he was drafted like very few people have done it uh, against their old team that he was originally drafted. So you're in elite company in that regard too. So good on John Tavares. And I just wish I would have liked to have seen a little bit more, you know, appreciation for the milestone just as an athlete versus, you know, your pain towards the athlete. But fans are allowed to do what fans are allowed to do. And if they want to show some displeasure, that's fine. Yeah, they they paid their money to boo John Tavares last night, and they were going to boo John Tavares no matter which way it's unfolded. Okay, Brock, over to the world of football. Monday Night Football, there were a pair of games last night, which I kind of enjoyed, a little bit of channel surfing. Uh, when commercial breaks were going on or halftime breaks were happening, the New York Giants upset the Green Bay Packers. That one uh, surprised the sports fans in Vegas. And then the Tennessee Titans upset the Miami Dolphins. That one really uh, surprised the sports fans in Vegas. <laughs> yes, it did for sure. Uh, the final score in that game was uh, 28-27. Uh, the Tennessee Titans were down by 13 uh, with around three minutes to go. As a matter of fact, most of those 13 points that they were down by were given up uh, within that same fourth quarter with a couple of turnovers. I will also tell you, Dave, that the Tennessee Titans are only the fifth team in league history in the NFL to be down by 13 points and then come back. They are the first team to do it in regulation. The other four teams that I mentioned did it in overtime. So pretty cool to to see that. But man, did they try to give away the game last night with some sloppy, sloppy play in that fourth quarter and turning it over really deep into uh, Miami territory. And it's really unfortunate to see that this from Miami, a Tyreek Hill and his ankle. Hopefully he's better because the Miami Dolphins are better with him on the field as close to 100% as he can be. And if he's not there, this could be some trouble for Miami moving forward. Yeah, licking some wounds in a Dolphins town this morning. There's uh, no doubt about that one. Brock, have a great day. You as well. That is Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk coming up after the break. How can you engage with the holiday season in a way that's accessible but also fun. 
John Lepke shares a page from his holiday guide. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There's no escaping it. The holidays are here. Music and sounds and lights and people and parties and Santa Claus. There's no getting away from it. So, how can you engage with the season in a way that's fun and accessible? John Lepke has an accessible holiday guide to offer up. John is a freelance journalist based in Saskatchewan. Hey, good morning, John. Good morning, Dave. John, I didn't mean to sound like a Scrooge in the intro there. I actually was really feeling some Christmas music over the weekend, and I was in Buffalo, New York, and there was a whole light show and a Christmas tree lighting. I actually thought it was quite beautiful, but, but you know, my honor character is something of a Scrooge. What traditions do you look forward to? Yeah, absolutely. So for as long as I can remember, Christmas has involved gathering with friends and family. Back when I used to play Parasport, I was hardly around for any holidays except Christmas. That was the one you could guarantee I could be at home. Um, and and then I have a few accessible traditions that we'll get into with, with friends that I've sort of gathered over the years. Done intermittently, but uh, uh, they're still a part, a gladful part of uh, the holiday season. What are some of the traditions you've adapted to make them more accessible? Yeah, absolutely. So during the pandemic, I realized not unlike other people and not unlike people like comedian uh, Sarah Milliken, who does it for people who have Christmas alone. But uh, I've done a few um, sort of Zoom Christmases because uh, I mentioned Parasport earlier. I feel like I've had many phases of my life and many reasons for people to to not share the same room, either geographically or why would their their uh, paths cross. And so being able to have that that Zoom chat and, and chat about the holidays and sort of, uh, you know, decrease not only the loneliness, but just a building of sense of community. I love bringing people into spaces where, you know, folks that they may not have met. John, in the world that we live in, there are a lot of conversations that are had over Zoom or on Microsoft Teams or on Skype or take your pick. So how do you make sure those functions are still fun without feeling like a work function? Absolutely. I I just start it with, you know, a few a few questions in terms of like quite frankly, with how disparate people's lives are that tend to be in this space, it's just a little bit of, I know about you. Can you tell the rest of the room a little bit about you? And, and you know, how, how are you celebrating the season? And then because it's a bunch of uh, um, disabled people, usually with the same sort of uh, disability activism bent, that's usually that's usually where the conversation goes as we sort of chat about our lives and, and what the year has has meant to us. John, what about the gift-giving side of this? What are considerations that you put forward that folks should keep in mind to ensure the gift they're giving is actually accessible? Yeah, so, I mean, there are, there are sort of the bog standard suggestions of make sure that your 
um, you know, make sure that you know the allergies of the person. Um, make sure that you know there it's an item that they could use. I have certainly um, accidentally given people gifts, not for not for this particular holiday, but I've certainly given gifts in the past that weren't exactly uh, that sensible. Um, uh, the the lead example in my mind being the time that I gave somebody with limited hand function a Zen garden stirring pot thing. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to work. Know. That's not going to work. I don't know. Don't know why I thought that was a great idea. Um, we had a good laugh about it because we're good friends, but it wasn't exactly the smartest thing. Um, so that that's another thing, and also knowing the the relationship that you have with this person. I there are a number of disabled folks in my life who, who I. Uh, you know, have in the past given sort of gag gifts or, or joking gifts too, because uh, they're they were really good friends. And on those, you really have to make sure that you uh, that you know your audience. What well, what kind of gag gift were you offering up here? Yeah, so this is um, and again, these are very good friends of mine. Um, one person has chronic pain, and so I got her a shirt that says "Existence is Pain." Um, and another friend is missing a, a finger on one of his hands, so I bought him a little a little mannequin hand for when he wants to feel like he has all five fingers on the one hand. Again, know your audience. Yeah, um, yeah. That that that's uh, that's the one where like I don't want somebody giving me a pair of eyeglasses for Christmas. Being yeah. like, here you go, blind door. Let's make fun of your disability. But if it was someone who I was really close to, maybe, you know, maybe there's a little more wiggle room there. Yeah, and, and some of the gifts, you know, not to make it sound like I'm the worst gift giver in the world, um, some of the gifts that I've received that have been really helpful over the years with, with holidays and, and birthdays and things like that is, um, I have a set of pots and pans that are pasta strainer pots so that I can just lift whatever is in it out of the boiling water put it away from the stove and so i don't have to carry boiling water across i can wait for the water to cool down yeah that's a great and then, gift and then uh and then move it across um a lot of them actually have been have been kitchen related uh, a butter spreader um was another another great gift that uh, that i got at one point and then it's little things that you know maybe it's something for for your desk i've certainly done that in the past um, you know, as you said, we spend a lot of our lives on Zoom. Uh, from my vantage point here with production, I'm on Zoom right now, um, doing it live. So there's, uh, you know, just little things that, and then the third portion of gifts that I give is a gift and also ask for are things that I know that I want, but also I can't bring myself to buy for myself. Either, um, you know, I know people who have supported others in buying things like, you know, uh, a very pretty cane or something, somebody, something that somebody's been eyeing up, but there's just a little bit of a barrier. They can't do it for themselves, maybe, yeah. but they can if somebody else decides to do it for them. It, I, I try to be really cognizant this time of year about gift giving in general because there's there's an expectation that all these people in your life are supposed to get a gift. And I, and I, and I, I try to normalize it the other way and saying, maybe I'll send you a nice little note. Maybe I'll let you know I'm thinking about you around around the holidays. But I, I wonder if maybe life needs to start going a little bit the other way and we don't need to give all these people in our lives a gift to let them know that we're thinking about them. Like maybe keep it to just immediate family and partners. Yeah, and, and I've certainly I've certainly trended that way. You know, the 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 larger scale gift, shall we say, sticks to the to the immediate family, and then uh, the the way that manifests in my life is that the the friends get the uh, get the joking gifts. Um, 
intermittently and then you know uh, we we tend to spend time together or at least did pre-pandemic with things like new year's and and being able to yeah. celebrate in, in that way experiences over gifts yeah I, I i think spending time together is one that like if you can is is as meaningful if not more meaningful than sending someone a ten dollar gift card or a twenty dollar gift card Mm-hmm. And and to me, being able to have the sort of Christmas party, Zoom party, whatever whatever we're calling it, uh, uh, I think I may have adapted the word cripple again in in the way I named it when I put out the Facebook event a couple of years ago. But wait, you know, wait, wait, what did you what did you call it? I think now don't don't fact check me on this because I may be wrong. But in my in my memory, I think I called it Christmas, which. Okay, uh, which is entertaining because like most of the people there uh, were, weren't, uh, or lots of people that that attended weren't um, uh, weren't of the Christian tradition. <laughs> so, uh, which, which, we'll... which, by the way, I suppose is an entire different element to this holiday conversation, and one of the reasons why I've been putting my back up like Scrooge for eight weeks against like over holiday talk because the fact is not everybody looks at this through a Judeo-Christian lens. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I uh, you can there's there are a few uh, decorations behind me are I may have said this on the program before, but our holiday decorating tends to be penguin themed because I walk like one. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think there are some ways in which are, you know, we need to back away from the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition being the default. Um, but really, when I when I have that holiday, uh, you know, holiday Zoom call, um, you know, it, it reminds me that I've I've uh, I've lived many lives, and then there are many disabled people in my life who uh, yeah who I can share space with and and uh, have interesting conversations, shall we say? But but I do come back to this idea of like it can be a very joyous time of year, and I like that it's joyous, and I like being engaged in the joy. Like it it was it was pure coincidence on Saturday that where I was in Buffalo happened to be doing the Christmas tree lighting. Like it was not intended. We were just taking a tram down to the arena, and that's that's how it worked right. out. And it was actually amazing to see like all the kids and all the parents and all the people and all the lights. Like the music was going. Like it was actually a real really lovely moment and and I think that's what for for all of sort of like what I call the extraneous holiday chatter when you get those <laughs> authentic genuine moments that's where you're like yeah that's why this time of year is actually special well and not to not to end on a downer here Dave but I also think as not just a disability community but as a society in general we need to be willing to understand that lots of disabled people particularly multiply marginalized disabled people have really complicated relationships with this time of year and however we can uh you know introduce our 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 chosen family the company that we keep into these traditions um in ways that are uh, you know, accessible, inclusive, and acknowledge the the trauma that can come with this time of year, even if if we don't share that lived experience, it will be a positive move forward for our for our society. Yeah, inclusion, it's a good thing. Hey, John, thank you for this. It's nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. That is John Lepke, freelance journalist based in Saskatchewan. Coming up after the break. Oh boy, reboot culture is going to find its way in the conversation. What Alex Smythe uh, brings to the roundtable, a topic all about prequels and spinoffs. 
Everyone's trying to fire me up this morning. I, I appreciate the efforts around me. I, I wish I had more energy to go sound off on the lack of originality in Hollywood. Who knows, maybe I'll muster the guts. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Alex Smythe, you've got a topic for myself and Ramya Amuthan all about prequel and spin-off film culture. Yeah, Dave. So this is all top of mind because the new Wonka prequel movie starring Timothy Chalamet is set to hit theaters this week. And Jason Nathanson shares a preview. Timothy Chalamet had a lot of different influences in channeling Willy Wonka for the upcoming prequel movie Wonka. Prepare to be amazed. Of course, June Wilder, star of 1971's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, was a big one. But at this week's L.A. premiere, Chalamet said there are a couple that might surprise you. Charlie Chaplin uh, and his physicality, uh, Kermit the Frog, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, you know, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. Just that super open-hearted sincerity. Wonka is in theaters this weekend. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. So at the risk of sounding like an old man screaming at clouds, this is just another example of why I, I find like it, it gets so frustrating, especially within Hollywood, that there's all these blockbusters, all these big movies that are coming out there. So even two technically in theaters right now, they're all prequels, they're all spinoffs, they're all established IP or intellectual property. There's not really the original stories that are really coming out because whether it's just the studio's know they're bankable, they think it's going to be more financially viable. I just struggle to think, I don't get excited for these types of movies anymore. So I wanted to bring this topic to the round table. So Romeo, we'll start with you on this. Do you get excited when there's a film like a spinoff, a prequel, or something that is tangibly connected to another form of intellectual property when it's coming out to theaters? Does it excite you anymore? Do, do you have to kind of get worked up to be excited about something like that? Well, I think the question is relative on whether you're a fan or not. Now, obviously, uh, you, Alex, and Dave, you are absolute movie buffs compared to me. So I, I think that we I've heard multiple iterations of this kind of conversation where you're both like, you know, the creativity is lost. Um, uh, Hollywood isn't doing much with the kind of, you know, creative licenses anymore. For me, though, this is something where i think like when it's attached to other intellectual property already i think the um the fandom side of me comes out where it's about the comparison so about the uh, adaptation of book to movie book to tv series mm. that kind of thing and that gets me excited and i think there's a, a lot of us actually um who get excited in that aspect obviously that comes with frustrations as well because then you get the commentary on this wasn't done well or they could have done this or i can't believe they took the liberty to do that um but it does create conversation around this and that conversation 
conversation I definitely, definitely take part in more often than not. Uh, obviously, the most recent example, it's not a movie, but the TV show or miniseries of All the Light We Cannot See on Netflix right, of versus course. the book. Yeah, I literally, like to me, the experience was I started the miniseries, watched two out of the four episodes, paused and walked away, then started the book. Now I'm halfway through the book. So you know what I mean? Like this has created an entire um spin-off if you will of an experience for me so that's the the way that i approach it but i feel like your opinions are going to be very different than mine well you know alex ramia brings something up there right the connectivity of universes across platform and maybe that's a little bit different than what's going on with this wonka movie right here like a willy wonka origin story versus okay, where are you pulling intellectual property from and what are you doing with that intellectual property? Yeah, well, and, and to be frank, I mean, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is first started as a Roald Dahl novel, right? So it is an intellectual property based yeah. in, in the written word. So there is that connectivity to it. I think the, the challenge I find, especially when we get around kind of the prequel idea. Spinoffs are very different because it allows you to go in completely different worlds. But when you have right. a prequel, you are so tied already to where the character needs to get to, to start off whatever the established story that you're trying to link it to, whether it is a movie, whether it is, you know, the uh, Gene Wilder 1970s uh, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. If you want to set the stage to get to that point, you know the limits of the character within that because you it has to still be believable once you start that new movie it can't completely go in a different direction not be related because you've established this that you want this to be the origin story of a willy wonka in this instance so i find you kind of you you encase yourself in these kind of confines of of what you want to do because you want to connect yourself to another film series project things like that it often becomes disappointing because you can't you can't really offer that many surprises or or unique experiences because then otherwise people are going to want to do more of that or you're going to take away from the original uh project you're you're pulling from ramia coming back to you and maybe getting a bit of perspective from the literature side of this thing mm -hmm. How much do you find yourself reading series with recurring characters? There's obviously these famous stories about Inspector Gamache and, and the mysteries that he's solving in the area around Magog, Quebec, which people love, love, love those mm -hmm. those books. Or you think about characters like uh, like Beowulf and like the uh, sort of espionage, espionage story. So how much do you find yourself actually buying into some of that intellectual property in the book series side of things? Yes, exactly. And even if like for me, um, I don't particularly love these long series, these like never ending 35 book series of, of a detective or a cozy mystery or something. I have, you know, we don't have to look far to know that people love this stuff and eat this stuff up. And I think that it loops back into Alex, what you're saying, the intention behind prequels, the intention behind spinoffs, and I'll put both of those in the same box for like this response, which is people just want more of it like i don't know if people are necessarily looking for the creative the juicier the whatever like if we look at marvel or dc um there's like a billion versions of one universe one storyline one uh kind of like character journey and that's because people just love it and they want more of it that's why these books turn into series turn into prequels turn into spin-offs because um it, i think like 
to the point where it, it might feel at nauseum, especially from an outside perspective looking in. But a lot of people, they just want that familiarity again. They want a different version of the same thing. They yeah. want an nobody's really cares as much about the confines as they do about oh i just want more of game of thrones you know yeah, so I, yeah. I think like people just in general are ready to eat it up and i i don't think often that you need a lot of the creativity alex obviously familiarity matters that's why all these studios keep going for sequels spin-offs and prequels yeah. but one of the things that probably separates a great spinoff or a great prequel or a great sequel from the rest, from like the vast majority, is when the director or the writer or the actor has something to say. You heard Ramya mention superhero movies, right? There have been a million DC and Marvel movies over the course of the last decade, 15 years. And the only one that stands out to me as original was Joker. The movie that Joaquin Phoenix made about like the origin story of the Joker a couple of years ago. And that was nominated for Academy Awards. And he won an Academy Award for his acting performance. And I will stand for that movie because it actually had something to say and wanted to tell an original story. Yeah, and, and that's really where you kind of start to stand out and, and you really kind of establish yourself as like, oh, you're you're based in this world, but you're you're going a different route. I actually kind of tried to dive into prequel films and 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 specifically prequels because I really wanted to explore how many are out there that are actually whether match or exceed the the reception of the original. In my mind, Dave, very few have actually ever been able to get close to it. You know, you think of the the big one that always everyone talks about is Godfather Part Two. That one's kind of more like a oh, prequel yeah. sequel. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that one is it's like yes, you're you're telling it's more in my mind it's more of a a sequel because you're you're expanding on the story. It's it's part two of the original kind of trilogy, so to speak, but. I, I look at in the superhero world, there's so many different iterations. The one I liked was X-Men First Class. You know, you, you went into a completely different direction. Uh, other ones are like the James Bond series. It just came, seems to be like a different iteration every single time. But Casino Royale did a good job of establishing itself, making this bit of an origin story, but it was still a fresh kind of semi-reboot on a character in a franchise that started to get stale towards the end of Pierce Bronson's era. So there, there are ways to go about it, but the examples of the good are far smaller than the examples of the not so good that are out there. Yeah, that's, I, I like that Casino Royale take. That, 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 that was an incredible, incredible version of James Bond uh, with Daniel Craig and his piercing blue eyes. Uh, Alex, <laughs> thank you for bringing this topic to the table. Don't go too far. You're coming back for the news quiz in a couple of minutes. But Rumya, speaking of a few minutes down the road, what's coming up on Kelly and Rumya at 2 p.m. Eastern time today? Yep, we're talking about indigestion. I oh know, my gosh! I know. It's it's not the greatest series of um, wellness topics we've been having having with Francis Wong, but still important. So indigestion, what is it? How do we treat it? Francis Wong is going to dive into it during our wellness chat. <laughs> Community reporter Mark, I didn't have a pun for it. Sorry. Community reporter Mark Workman joins us live from Dubai to chat about the United Nations Climate Change Conference that he's attending. Wow. Also, Bryce Parker, he um, is part of the global. Uh, men's national team for Canada, but he's also an avid collector of sports jerseys and memorabilia. So he's coming up on our uh, collections and hobbies. And oh, segment. wow. What a Tuesday show lined up for the gang at yeah. Kelly and Romeo. Well, Romeo, have a wonderful day. Talk to you tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow, Dave. That is Romeo. I'm within the co-host of Kelly and Romeo.
that hits the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Coming up after the break, it's another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Karen McGee, Alicia Yardley, and Alex Smythe will put their knowledge to the test for your entertainment. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's Tuesday. It's the last segment of the show. Let's fire up the weekly news quiz. I can't quite put as much zest and gusto as I usually do on that introduction, but Nevertheless, the contestants will bring all the energy you need on this Tuesday morning. Saying hello once again to Alex Smythe, the co-host of the show. Hello, Alex. Hello, Dave. Also saying hello to AMI Regional Content Development Specialist, Karen McGee. Hello, Karen. Hello, everybody. And from the Human Resources Department, it's Alicia Yardley. Hello, Alicia. Hello. Okay, guys, this is going to be a fun, fun quiz with the typical rules in place. Three rounds of questions with three questions per round. Each question coming with three multiple choice options. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear the options and get it right, you get one. If you get it wrong, we move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants was drawn by Mary Daniel. That's the wife of producer Paul Daniel, who also wrote the questions for the quiz. The order will be Alicia, Karen, and Alex. So, starting off with international news, Alicia. Former President Alberto Fujimori was released from prison on humanitarian grounds last week. Of what South American country was he president? Uh, Can I get the options, please? Is it Bolivia, Peru, or Ecuador? Ooh, um, I'm going to say Bolivia. That is incorrect. Karen, a chance for a steal. Peru or Ecuador? Ecuador? That is incorrect. Alex, picking up the default point. He's uh, been in prison for uh, 25 years. 25 years. He's now 85 years old. Okay, Karen McGee, next question coming your way. A music streaming service announced it was laying off 17% of its workforce last week. What streaming service is it? Spotify? That is correct. Two points for Karen McGee. Unclear if any uh, job cuts will impact Canadian employees. Spotify does have an office in Toronto. So there you go. After two questions, Karen McGee leaps into the lead with two points. Alex with one. Alicia on the goose egg. But Alex gets the opportunity to uh, draw even here. Maybe even jump ahead with question number three of round number one. Alex, Evan Gersovich is an American reporter being held in a Russian prison for more than 250 days on an espionage charge. What U.S. newspaper does employs Mr. Gershevich? I'm going to need the options, Dave. Is it the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, or the L.A. Times? Uh, I'm going to go with the New York Times. 
That is incorrect. I, 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 I'm going to have to confess something here, though. I, I messed something up along the way here. Alex, I'm going to give you, I don't know how to do this. Uh, Karen McGee, what do you think? No, sorry, Alicia, you Alicia Yardley, what do you think? Say, what did you mess up? <laughs> um, okay, so it is the Wall Street Journal or the LA Times. That's right, those are the options. Okay, uh, I'm going to say the Wall Street Journal. That is also incorrect, and this is where I this is where I messed something up in a big time way. Uh, Karen McGee, the LA Times. Also incorrect. This is where I messed okay. things up in a big time way. I uh, had to edit the script this morning, and uh, I had to make a couple of changes, and I deleted the right answer. It was the Washington Post, right? That is correct. It's, I thought it was the Washington oh, Post, so I was is, surprised when you didn't no. give the right answer. Yeah, the answer that is the answers. That, that is correct. That is correct. So. Uh, I'm tempted to give Karen one point for getting that without the options. How about a half point? How about a, that, there, you we'll know what? Everybody let's let's let 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 let's give Karen a full point for now, and then we'll revisit later and maybe fire <laughs> me from this job uh, moving forward through the editing process. So let's give Karen McGee one point. Yeah, she did do that without the options. Can we give Karen the ding just for the sake of everyone feeling better? Okay, boom, there it is. So after round number one, that uh, puts Alex at one, Karen at three, Alicia at zero. But we'll see. We'll see how these things uh, slice out through the rest of this game. We'll see how they how they how they slice out. So round number two is all about questions related to Canada. And Karen, you get the first opportunity at this one. Last week, the Financial Transactions and Report Analysis Center of Canada leveled a seven point four million dollar penalty against a bank for administrative violations. What Canadian bank is it? RBC. That is two points for Karen McGee, starting to uh, run away with this thing. Later in the week, FinTrack leveled a 1.3 million penalty against CIBC for non-compliance with money laundering. So busy week last week for a FinTrack, and uh, Karen McGee now up to five points. So Alex, you got to do some real chasing here, some real chasing. It was announced last week that this Canadian magazine would cease publishing in 2024. What publication is it? I'll need the options, Dave. Is it Canadian Geographic, Reader's Digest Canada, or Canadian Dimension? I'm going to go Canadian Geographic. That is incorrect. Alicia, a chance for a steal. Reader's Digest or Canadian Dimension? Uh, Reader's Digest. That is correct. One point for Alicia Yardley. Reader's Digest debuted uh, in 19... Reader's Digest Canada debuted in 1947. That's 25 years after the American version shut down or came out i'm i'm rattled over here totally rattled here as i'm racing towards the end of the show but alicia is now on the board standing next to alex Smythe at one point and alicia now has the opportunity to uh, pick up some big points here alicia last week rj simpson was chosen as the new premier of a canadian territory what category does rj simpson represent hmm R.J. Simpson and not O.J. Simpson. That's right. That's right. If O.J. If okay. was named premier of a, pro, of a territory, we would, uh, we, it would have been a much bigger news story. Uh, yeah. Uh, can I get the options, please? Well, I, I'm surprised you're asking for options here. There's only three Canadian territories. Nunavut, oh, Northwest I'm Territories, sorry. or Yukon? I thought you said province or territory for some reason. I'm sorry. I'm going to say Yukon. That is incorrect. Karen, a chance for a steal here. 
Uh, Northwest Territory? That's correct. One point for Karen McGee. Simpson was first elected to the legislature in 2015. So that puts Karen up to six points here next to Alicia's one and Alex's one. Although maybe next to Karen's six, there's also sort of a five. So we'll see how round three plays out before we totally declare what Karen's score is. But y'all got to swing big here in this last round as we uh, get to general news stories beginning with alex Smythe. alex u.s congressman george santos was back in the news again last week for two hundred dollars anyone can request a personalized video from santos from a digital service what service is it cameo dave it's two points for alex Smythe. santos santos says he made more in one week on cameo than his entire annual salary in congress cameo still a thing that's a, that's a big point scored for Alex Smythe right there. Big, big point scored for Alex Smythe. Heading over to Alicia for question number two of round number three. Alicia, which animal has been revealed as a power napper falling asleep thousands of times a day for a few seconds at a time? I'm going to need options. I'm sorry. Is it a penguin, a goldfish, or a grasshopper? Jesus. Um, I'm going to just <laughs> shoot for the fences. A, a goldfish? Uh, that is incorrect, Karen. A chance for a steal. Penguin or grasshopper? Penguin? That is correct. One point for Karen McGee. It's estimated the short snoozes add up to 11 hours daily sleep. Not too shabby. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, that, that, doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound totally lovely? Maybe all full of NyQuil and Neocitrum I, as you're under your covers for an entire afternoon on a oh. Tuesday. That sounds uh, really ideal, maybe. Uh, okay, heading back over to Karen for uh, question number three of round number three. Uh, not quite a do or die question here, Karen, but I would love it if you just got this totally right and then and then we could and then we could uh, uh, move move on. Maybe this is where I messed something up, too. Oh, dear. Uh, last week, more than 750 staffers of a U.S. newspaper walked off the job. What newspaper is it? Oh. Can I get the choices? Is it the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, or Chicago Tribune? Um, I'll say the Washington Post just for... Fun. For continuity, that is right. One point for Karen McGee. I really messed up this news quiz. I apologize to the contestants. I apologize to the producers. I apologize to the audience. I beg everyone's forgiveness. Uh, union members said they uh, walked out to protest a stalemate in bargaining with the company. Workers have been without a contract for 18 months at the uh, Washington Post. Okay, so with that, the winner is... Maybe not without its controversy, but it is indeed Karen McGee. Would it be a Karen McGee win without controversy? Uh, well, you know, that's that's what pumps the ratings up uh, big time through and through. I actually wonder, guys, we have about four minutes left till we're off the air here. Can y'all can y'all uh, fact check me on that uh, that journalist who's being held in Russia just so we make sure we're sharing the actual right information? I know I know I did some editing to those options earlier today, and I might have accidentally knocked out the uh, the Washington Post by mistake because um, there were options like the Washington Times on there. Anyway, I, I, I tried to change the options and I might have tinkered a little bit too much uh, to, to, to pick that to pick that question out. So my my apologies on that one for really messing up the news quiz. There's about three minutes left here on the Bruce, we know the name. I need to know what newspaper he works for. Uh, we are going to we're going to flip over here to the tie breaking question and the tie breaking question. 
just because we're playing it for fun. So I want to remind you how it works. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to read the whole question. Then each one of you is going to have an opportunity to guess the answer because we're going to do closest to the pin. Whoever gets closest to the number on this one is going to get just uh, bonus points and admiration uh, for me forever. So here is the question. The Trafalgar Square Christmas tree was unveiled last week. The unveiling is a traditional centerpiece of festive celebrations in London, England. The tree is an annual gift from Norway for supporting the country through World War II. So, in which year did the tradition of lighting this tree begin? Alex, you are the most recent person to have visited Europe of the, of the three folks out there. So, what's your guess? Oh, geez, putting me on the spot. And uh, you said it was World War II uh, commemoration, right, Dave? Uh, sorry, Alex, the, the production room is in my ear. I just need you to answer the question. Okay. Uh, let's say uh, 1956. Good answer. Good answer. Let's see what Karen McGee has to say. 1947. Also a good answer. Also a good answer. Let's see what Alicia Yardley has to say. I'm going to go right in the middle and say 1950. It's been Karen McGee's day. It's 1947 on the pin. Uh, 62 feet tall, by the way, the Norwegian uh, spruce that uh, was given for this year's uh, deal. So that was just well done by Karen McGee uh, through and through. Karen, that felt like old times, the way you dominated that news quiz. Oh, finally. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's been it's, a rough few months. It's not, it's, it's not even joy for Karen through this win. It's just a, it's just a general sense of relief. Oh. Finally, like, get that title back. You need to find that crown somewhere. Dave. We do need to find that crown. Uh, thing, a lot of things got moved uh, during the Studio 5 to Studio 7 migration. Uh, Karen, thank you for this. Congratulations. Alicia, thank I'm you. sorry that we didn't quite get you a win there this week. You had a good effort, though. Uh, yes, and, um, you know, my cat decided to sort of wander on screen, so it was a good effort by everybody. That, that's two weeks in a row your cat's gotten involved in the mix, so that's uh, that's super exciting. Your cat is now a regular fixture on the weekly news quiz. And also a big thank you to Alex Smythe for uh, participating in the quiz. And yes, acknowledging that I messed this up completely, completely messed up that question of round number one, the answer was the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal is the uh, journalist who uh, is being held in Russian prison. That's all the time there is for the show today until tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.